Like we are dying at such an alarming rate. We're not making it, black women, we are dying in the hospital. Our babies are not making it. Women are saying that they are not being listened to and they're not being heard. I don't think you're in pain. I don't think this is an emergency. You don't look like you need help. We can't have that. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome, everyone, to the Debrief podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Pascarella, in for David Ushery. And today we're taking an in-depth look at the heartbreaking fight that many black women face during and after pregnancy. The statistics are stunning. Despite living in the wealthiest country in the world, many expectant black mothers do not receive the same care as white women. I met with one Brooklyn mother who's sharing her story so that no other woman will have to deal with the pain she's endured. Take a listen. When a doctor told Chrissy Sample she was carrying twins, her reaction was, are you sure? Is this like my chart? Are you like, are you positive? But the shock last October quickly gave way to planning. Two of everything, the doubles, and you, you start to wrap your head around. And then overwhelming excitement. The Brooklyn mom of an eight-year-old was having two more boys who would be named after fighters Cassius and Apollo. It was a pregnancy against all odds, high risk in the middle of a pandemic. And it took a sudden turn during a routine sonogram. And she says, there's only one heartbeat. Shattered beyond words, Chrissy had no time to grieve as she delivered Apollo's stillborn and gave birth prematurely to Cassius. I'm so blessed to have him because he almost didn't make it. It's hard because no matter how I, you know, how life goes, I still pictured two babies. I still pictured having, you know, three sons. It doesn't go away. Also lingering are questions of how this happened and her growing conviction that race played a devastating role. The numbers are crazy. Like we are dying at such an alarming rate. We're not making it, black women. We're, we are dying in the hospital. Our babies are not making it. We're miscarrying well after the date where they say that you should be out the, out the clear. The numbers are undeniable. The CDC says black women are twice as likely as white women to give birth prematurely. They die in childbirth at a far higher rate. And black babies are also twice as likely to die before their first birthday. While research shows there are many factors, doctors are finding one alarming constant. Women are saying that they are not being listened to and they're not being heard. And that is why now the focus is on whether or not there's implicit bias happening, organizations are paying attention to whether or not women are being listened to. It's caught the attention of groups like the March of Dimes, which launched implicit bias training for doctors and hospitals nationwide, saying it's time for us to have an honest conversation about the huge health disparities that exist for women of color. Do you feel like it was because you're a black woman? You know, at first I didn't feel that way. I I didn't feel like it was because I was black. We're ignored on so many levels. But when it happens to you, you don't really realize what's happening until it's over. For Chrissy, the red flag was extreme pain during her pregnancy that she felt her doctor brushed off. When I ask her, it's like, oh, it's relative. Oh, it's fine. Like, oh, you know, it's 
It's a part of pregnancy. It was never like, you know, maybe I should check this out. And she says she had trouble getting an appointment with a high risk doctor, which is standard for a mom with twins. She felt her doctor didn't give her extra help to get it booked. And when Chrissy finally got in on her own, it was too late. The part that was the, the most heartbreaking, she said, well, this happened within one to three days. And I kept saying I felt movement like I just felt him. If I was seeing, you know, the week prior, this could have been prevented. Saving another mother from an ordeal like Chrissy's is the mission of Brooklyn Assembly member Rodney's Bashat. Why do we have such high disparities in, 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 in birth rates, in care, maternal care? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Bashat also lost a baby prematurely and has introduced a bill in the child's honor that would require hospitals to provide better care and information for preterm moms. The federal government is also taking steps with a national campaign called Hear Her. That means that we are supposed to listen to women, all women, and particularly women of color, when they reach the healthcare system, at the door, at the, at the office, in the operating room. For Chrissy, there's no telling when those conversations in the hospital will stop replaying in her mind. It's possible they never will, but she knows there's a helpful, powerful lesson for others in her ordeal. Advocate for yourself. If you feel that something is just not right when you go into your doctor's appointment and they listen to your gut, find a new doctor. Find someone who is gonna listen to you, who's gonna make your needs you know, heard, it's important to advocate for yourself. Joining me now is Assemblymember Rodney Bichot. Thank you so much for joining us today. You say you have made it your mission, as we saw in the story, to fight for black mothers. Tell us more about your experience and why this is so personal for you. Um, thank you, Natalie. It's good to be with you and your audience again. Um, and thank you for having me on the debrief. Nearly four years ago, I lost my son, Jonah Bichard Collin, after going into preterm labor. I was 22 weeks into my pregnancy after a checkup revealed that I was several centimeters dilated. The doctors told me that I'm about to have this baby. Um, at the hospital, I was told that my baby and I were in incredibly fatal and high risk situation. They gave me two options, whether I wanted to uh, terminate the baby or go home. I asked if I can stay in the hospital because I certainly don't want to have the baby on my way home or while I'm home with no medical care. But they told me that uh, because of hospital policies, uh, potentially due to insurance, they needed the bed and they could not provide any care for me. After I was in the room crying and calling other doctors outside the hospital who also spoke to them and told them what they were doing were like insensitive, unethical and illegal. They still didn't want to hear it. They said, hey, um, we need the room. Can you leave? So I left and another hospital received me. Uh, which was Wyckoff uh, Hospital, a, a community hospital uh, in Bushwick, uh, who did everything that they could do to make sure that I was safe and my baby was safe. Um, I had something called the um, uh, incompetent cervix, where you typically need to be sewn up, get a cerclage, if you know that you have that issue, where you would have to be a bed rest and, so that the baby could stay. Um, and so when I went to the to the Wyckoff, 
they actually, you know, put, put me in bed rest. They sequaged me and wanted to make sure that I was in a safe position. My baby was safe and that the baby could stay in my womb as long as possible because we wanted to make sure that the baby um, would mature enough in the event that I would have to deliver. Knowing the risks associated with this condition, at Wyckoff, um, I eventually gave birth uh, a few days later. And on October 7th, um, I gave birth to Jonah, who was alive at the Wyckoff uh, Heights Medical Center. And he passed away uh, several hours later. This was probably the most devastating tragedy that I ever experienced in my whole entire life. Till this day, I cry. It's very painful. And it took me a couple of years to find a way to have some relief. And that's why I introduced Jonah Bichard Cowan Bill, which is a bill that ensures that mothers are informed of all the risks when they're going into preterm labor, but also it requires hospitals to take care of the women with high risk pregnancies. You know, you, you can't just turn them away because your subjective view is I don't think you're in pain. I don't think this is an emergency. You don't look like you need help. We can't have that. So if a woman is coming in who's, who's pregnant and obviously they're about to have to give birth or they're experiencing some type of other emergency with their pregnancy, hospitals um, should be taking care of them and not turning them away. So let's talk about specifics with the Jonah B. Shot Cowan Law. You know, you talk about your deal and what you went through and how it formed uh, the bill moving forward. So what exactly would this bill mean for black mothers? So with this specific bill, when an expectant mother is coming into the hospital and it's an emergency, it is required of the hospital to take care or take in that patient and not turn them away. One of the issues that we also try to establish in the bill is preterm labor. So typically between the weeks of 20 and 24, many doctors don't know what to do with a woman who are having complications or about to deliver within that time frame because the infants are, in their minds, are not necessarily uh, are developed enough to sustain life um, even after giving birth in a NICU. We wanted to find a way to include that period because that period of weeks, 20 to 24, is not protected. And so we made the bill general enough so that anyone undergoing through preterm, no matter how many weeks you are, you're about to deliver your baby, the hospital should intervene as well as informing you and your family what are the risks involved in giving labor so early. Many times we are distressed and all we could think about is saving the baby and saving ourselves and not necessarily understanding or comprehending all the risks that are being told to us at that moment. And if you have a piece of paper that you can read or that your family members can read that tells you all the risks that are involved, I think that's an educational piece um, that would help us make our choices um, when we're at the hospital. Where does the Jonah be shot? Cowan bill stand right now? So currently the bill has passed unanimously in the uh, New York State Assembly, as well as the New York State Senate. It's a bipartisan bill. And we're very, very proud that we've gotten support from everyone. 
right now it's in the hands of the governor. Um, the governor has been working with our office. Okay. So we feel very confident that this will be passed and signed into law um, before the year is over. Assemblymember Rodnice Bichot, we thank you so much for your time today on this crucial topic. Thank you so much for having me. Right now, we want to welcome Helena Grant, a maternal and infant health advocate, co-chair of the NYC Maternal Mortality and Morbidity Committee, and director of Midwifery Services at Woodhull Medical Center. Helena, we thank you so much for joining us. We want to jump right in with talking about solutions. You and I have chatted before about education and what a big deal that is when it comes to helping expectant mothers. Yes, Natalie. So thank you all for having me. The, the first thing that we need to do is really begin to unpack race as a genetic construct and have medical education really infuse the new knowledge, which really should not be new, that it is more of a social construct. And then from there, really deal with the traumas, the epigenetic issues that patients have and their modern day weathering that they have to deal with in their lives as black people, and then really infuse that into the clinical care that they're getting. I think that providers are coming into the clinical area without that subset of knowledge, and it's becoming very damaging. And so a lot of folks have done a little bit of implicit bias training, but it's really, really not enough. We really need to be moving to anti-racist strategies to move into the clinical area. And a big part of that is unpacking history. We're going to serve patient populations that come into medical care in a racist society and a society that is socially unjust. We as medical providers need to understand what that is going to mean for their health care and be able to stand with them um, as partners to really unpack that with them on their journey with us. And let's talk a little bit about when you're talking about care and, and staff and medical professionals, understanding what black women have gone through. Speak a little bit about what is culturally mirrored care and, and tell us how you believe that works successfully. So culturally mirrored care is the concept that I see someone and I get cared for by a provider that looks like me, that maybe comes from the same community or similar community as me. And because of that, the whole locus around my healthcare experience becomes different. When a patient enters that type of relationship, there are things that they divulge that they may not feel divulging to a provider that doesn't look like them. And so the provider that doesn't look like them ends up not being able to infuse things within their care that they were not knowledgeable about. But the provider that looks like them, that may come from their community, that knows the foods that they eat, that really lives a similar experience, but that also has medical knowledge, has a different type of experience caring for the patients. The patients feel that, they acknowledge that. And when you look at large scale studies, they're actually asking for that as well. 
And in our story, we touched on group prenatal care as, as a possible solution, something hospitals have been looking at. But it was interesting because when I chatted with you earlier, you mentioned that that wasn't the case at Woodhull Medical Center. So group prenatal care is the concept of centering women um, by gestational age, more or less, so that they have a community experience. Woodhall is a big midwifery service. And even with our docs that we work in an integrative collaborative practice with, we try to follow a continuity model, meaning that patients who come here by and large, when we are at our best, are seeing the same person or group of people the same time. So although it is a a city hospital-based practice, we try to do our best to run it quite like a private service most of the time. And so when we try to do group prenatal care, because we primarily serve a Black and Latinx patient population, we had a Black midwife and a Latinx midwife do the group prenatal care. The patient's after many months, did one of two things. They ended up having a discussion about why they felt like as Black and Latinx women, they were being grouped together and began to talk about, did they think as a group with this Black and Latinx midwife that this was happening to white women? Why are the Black and Brown women being put in groups? And is this happening to white women? And so that was a very interesting discussion. Um, The second piece of it, a lot of them missed the intimacy that they were getting, especially with the midwives, because it is a different philosophy of care and that they love the one-on-one care um, that they got. And so uh, most of our patients ended up opting out of the mm-hmm. group prenatal care. And I'll never forget a black woman actually called it herd prenatal care. That was profound to us. And so we really got that message. And that's one of the reasons why we have not adopted a group prenatal care methodology. I will acknowledge this was probably about seven to 10 years ago. Things may have changed, but we heard that message from our patient population loud and clear. Let's talk a little bit about when you talk about comprehensive care, there are a lot of women, I know even friends of mine who really don't know a lot about doulas and midwives. I know you're a midwife yourself. You're the director of midwifery services at Woodhall Medical Center, as we spoke about. Uh, what do you see? Is, is that more the wave of the future, offering more doula services and midwife services? Do black women just not know about these services? Wave of the future is actually the ancient art of childbearing. Most nations of the world had midwives. This is what has happened since the beginning of time. The United States has a particular history around childbearing that the other industrialized nations of the world do not have. If you look at the European nations, most of them have midwives as the center of their OB model and women's health model of care. And we don't have that model. We do not share that with our industrialized nation's counterparts. And what's very interesting about that is that we have also the highest rates of maternal mortality and morbidity of any of the other industrialized nations. There is a speciality in the midwifery model of care. It centers the patient. It centers shared decision-making of the patient, meaning that you don't say, um, I feel like this is best for you or I recommend this. It's really about a deeper level, I'd say, of informed consent 
about having all the options laid out and having the patient really choose and you kind of holding their hand and walking them through it. So it's an American phenomenon that women don't know about midwives. When women come here from Canada and they come here from Europe, they're looking for midwives and we don't have them. Um, as far as Black women especially, that really has more to do with also the capitalistic and epigenetic trauma of Black women. Um, we had a big group of Black women in the, at the onset of this country that came here, that were brought here against their will. But every nation of people had midwives caring for the women who were going to give birth and who were going to childbear. And because of the capitalist system and the takeover by the, the, med, the system of medicine, Black women do not have that. And so the midwife really functioned in those communities as more of a primary care provider. She was the healer of the community. And so what we have now is this dichotomy where we're seeing that more affluent women are looking for this. They may be more educated and they want a midwife and a doula. And a lot of Black women um, around the country are not even aware that midwives exist. I've been a midwife for 23 years. And I've often, when I tell people what I do, I'll hear from people who look like me because I am a Black woman oh, we still have those? Oh my God, I didn't know. Oh, thank you so much. So much great information there, in-depth information. Helena Grant, we appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. Helena Grant, a maternal and infant health advocate, also co-chair of the NYC Maternal Mortality and Morbidity Committee and director of Midwifery Services at Woodhull Medical Center. Uh, Helena, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. We thank you so much for listening, and we thank our production team, Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Natalie Pascarella, in for David Asheri. We'll check you next time on The Debrief. Debrief.